You're listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We continue only with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. That's 800-488-1888. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and we're so glad that you're joining us today. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined, uh, as always, with Carl Truman, who's pastor at uh, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania, and teaches church history at Westminster Theological Seminary. We are also joined by Amy Bird, who is an author and a mom and a wife and all-around fun person who is uh, living in uh, West Virginia. Uh, cue the banjo music at that point, I think is what we typically do. But Amy is the housewife theologian. You're just going to be known as that, Amy. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much accepting that now. Absolutely. And uh, Amy has written a wonderful book called Housewife Theologian, has a, a blog that you really ought to check out. And so good to see the two of you. Um, we have a special guest with us that uh, Carl's going to introduce. Yeah, it's good to be here, Todd. And it's a very great pleasure today to be able to uh, introduce to the listeners uh, a lady I actually had the pleasure of meeting uh, last year when I was visiting the United Arab Emirates. Uh, this lady lives in in Dubai with her husband, Dave. Uh, she's got four children, along with uh, Amy Bird. She's one of the pioneers of, of reformed chiclet. <laughs> she has uh, a wonderful book out from Crossway called Glimpses of Grace, and also another book that is due to be published fairly soon, entitled Treasure in Christ When Your Hands Are Full. Uh, my guest is, is Gloria Furman. And she and her husband, Dave, are currently working in uh, Dubai. And uh, welcome to the show, Gloria. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you uh, on board. And I wonder if you could start off by perhaps uh, introducing yourself more fully to the listeners. Tell us what you and Dave are doing in Dubai. Absolutely. Uh, Dave is the pastor of Redeemer Church of Dubai, a church plant in downtown Dubai. Um, We're here uh, helping... Uh, train um, and equip and plant more churches in this region. So we've been here for five years now. Um, We've got four little kids, uh, three of whom were born here. They're our little desert babies. And um, yeah, so we live here in Dubai and love it. Excellent. And so you're a pastor's wife, uh, essentially? Essentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> as well as writing all these wonderful books, of course. But, uh, uh, were you a pastor's wife in the United States before you left? Uh, no, 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 no. Dave wasn't pastoring in the U.S., uh, but we were engaged in college ministry and um, taking college teams all over the world for different trips and uh, doing seminary at the same time. So um, I think right after we got married, we started seminary and then five years later graduated. <laughs> Excellent. So you've really been thrown in the deep end then in terms of the, the role of the pastor's wife. Not only are you the wife of a pastor, but you're also in what, from from my kind of two-day experience last year, is mm-hmm. a very different environment to anything it one is. would find in the West. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's an international church. So an international church is made up of people from um, about 50 to 70-ish nationalities, depending on the Friday. We gather on Fridays because that's the, the holy day here and the day that most people, if they have a day off work, that's the day they've got off. So we meet on Friday mornings. Um, and our church membership is probably around 50 or 60 different nationalities. So uh, wow. that's the international aspect of it. Um, but and it would be, sorry? 
So I was going to say, and so when you say 50 or 60 different nationalities, these are really people who come from outside the Emirates, essentially. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, today, Gloria, we wanted to talk about the issue of modesty, and we thought you would be someone fun to talk to just because of the whole cultural context. I'm uh, fun for other reasons, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that too. But um, <laughs> I specifically wanted to know, um, is that a prevalent issue like that you guys have to deal with there at your church oh, with yeah. all the different cultures? And, and what's that mm-hmm. like for you as a pastor's wife? That's that's a fascinating question. Um, the the issue of modesty is uh, a daily concern. Um, at least speaking for myself personally, because we live in a global city, um, because we live among people who come from different cultural backgrounds and countries, and religious um, backgrounds, where they have a code of modesty. Um, on top of that, there's a code of modesty uh, that's law in this country. So there is oh, wow. um, a public dress code. Um, so all of there, there are laws that, that just by living here that I have to abide by. And then there's also the law of love (laughs) as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I wouldn't want to offend someone who I want to, um, to see the brilliance of the gospel. And if they're distracted by what I'm wearing or doing or saying, um, then I'd be putting a stumbling block in front of them. Um, so modesty, yeah, it's it's a huge issue. Um, I make cultural faux pas every day, I'm sure. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you, if you found it like a hard adjustment moving it is, from the United yeah. States you, and, and learning all mm-hmm. the different laws. And- mm-hmm. Oh, you never know. I, um, I remember one massively eye-opening incident, one of the first times we moved here. I had washed my hair, threw my wet hair in a ponytail, and then um, went to the store real quick and then saw a lady there and she muttered the word haram. And that means shame, shame, shame. Mm. <laughs> and I asked my tutor later, I was like, what was that all about? I didn't say anything. I didn't approach her. I didn't, what, did I, what happened? And she said, you had wet hair. That means, and then she filled me in on what <laughs> that mm. means to them. Wow. Um, and the reason that a woman would have wet hair in public. And I was like, oh, dear. Wow. <laughs> I don't know anything. I'm West so West Virginians would for... not do very well in Dubai. It's <laughs> one thing my yeah. husband said as soon as we moved to West Virginia. He's like, why does all the women have wet hair here? <laughs> they seem to go right on out with their wet hair. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's things that I don't know and things that I'll never know because people wouldn't want to shame me in telling me. Um, mm. <laughs> um but we uh, we do seek God's grace every day <laughs> in apologizing for cultural faux pas and um, and seeking to understand how to best love our neighbor. That raises uh, an interesting question. A, um, I was going to say, Amy, Gloria, mm-hmm. I have to make sure I'm distinguishing uh, the two of you. Uh, to what extent do you think modesty is is socially conditioned, and are there any? Absolutes. Now, I put my cards on the table at this point. I'm the father of two sons. I don't have daughters. And I'm aware from chatting to Christian friends uh, like Amy and Todd that there are all kinds of challenges that that parents of daughters face these days relative particularly to to issues that we might bracket broadly under under the term uh, modesty. Do you think that there are absolutes that transcend cultures relative to modesty? Or is it an inexact science where you simply have to learn the codes of the culture in which you're involved and, and navigate your way through those. Are you asking me or Gloria? 
whoever wishes to take that very simple question on. Shouldn't take you more than about 20 seconds to answer. Gloria, are you braver than me to answer this one? (laughs) Oh, go for it, Amy. Thanks. (laughs) Well, I I think that both are true. I mean, I think most of it is pretty much culturally determined. The definition of modesty, I have a Tim Challey's book in front of me here with R.W. Glenn. And they define Mm -hmm. modesty as that virtue which is respectful of a culture's rules for appropriate and inappropriate dress, speech, and behavior in a given situation, which is something that we don't really bring up very often is also the speech and the behavior part of it. And also looking, I pulled up 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So I really think that there's a non-excessiveness that modesty entails. And a lot of times we talk about that with how much skin we show. And so non-excessiveness is something we want to think about. But also, um, you know, just think about the pop culture now. Our culture... There's a song out by a, a teenager from New Zealand. Uh, her name's Lord, and she's kind of like a pop indie singer. And it's called Royals. I don't know if you've heard of it. Carl probably has. <laughs> it's great not having daughters when I hear about uh, pop singing. Well, she's kind of um, busting on pop culture and what it's telling teenagers that, you know, that superstars should do. I wrote down some of the lyrics. I actually wrote an article about it on my blog, but... Um, the chorus says, but every song's like gold teeth, gray goose, tripping in the bathroom, bloodstains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room. That's the excessiveness of rock star Hollywood or movie star Hollywood. And her song is pretty much saying, we're not caught up in your love affair. So, I mean, there are ways where we have to take this bold stand and say, that is definitely not modest, even if our culture is doing that, even if our cult- culture is advertising that. Mm. One of the, the sort of problems, though, with, with, uh, with that kind of approach, I guess, is the fact that what is excessive seems to change over time. Yes. Thinking of the recent, uh, I didn't see it, but I heard that uh, Miley Cyrus, this mm-hmm. teen pop star of some kind, that's a wonderfully <laughs> condescending way of Disney referring to it. Disney star turned. Disney star turned, whatever, did uh, what was a remarkably crude mm-hmm. performance at some awards ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it's been shown on primetime television, I believe. Well, that seems to indicate that that what is and is not considered unacceptable is shifting. And yet my instincts as a, as a Christian and, and as a father, even a father of sons, is I don't want my sons watching that stuff. Absolutely. I don't want them dating yeah. girls who engage in that kind of stuff. That may not seem excessive now mm-hmm. by the standards of our culture where, right. for example, hardcore pornography is so easily available. But I still want to be able to make a stand as a, as a Christian and, and a Christian father and say, no, that's wrong. I don't care which possible world you're living in. Right. That yeah. is wrong and, and inappropriate. Yeah, the culture might be approving and laughing and um, yeah. showing it on television. It was on at the Buffalo Wild Wings <laughs> while we were there. So mm-hmm. that's wonderful for our children yeah. to see. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the speech, uh, Amy, because um, a lot of times when we talk about modesty, we forget the words. Hmm. Uh, and one of the things that uh, is warned about with the adulterous woman, at least in Proverbs, is her seductor speech mm-hmm. um, and uh, and her alluring her her speech, just the the words that she uses to seduce 
the young man who's being warned. Um, and so our, our speech is also entailed in that. Um, but the, uh, in that passage also that you read, the Timothy passage, mm-hmm. um, it says what you're supposed to adorn yourself with, good with works. good deeds. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a wear this, not that. Um, but so often we land on the, not that, not that. <laughs> well, and so what do um, we want to attract attention to? You know, are yeah. we trying to t- attract attention to all that we have, mm-hmm. all that we have been blessed with, or do we want to draw attention to, you know, what the Lord has given us? What kind of yeah. story are we telling in our speech, in our clothes? Mm-hmm. I really like um, Mary Kyson's book, Girls Gone Wise. She talks about that issue of the story that we really tell with clothing. Mm. With clothing, And she says, clothing bears witness to the fact that we have lost the glory and the be- beauty of our original sin-free selves. It confesses that we need a covering, Christ's covering, to atone for our sin and alleviate our shame. It testifies to the fact that God solved the problem of shame permanently and decisively with the blood of his own son. It also directs our attention forward to a time when we will be further clothed with spotless and perishable garments. And I just think, wow, that's something positive here that we're talking about Mm -hmm. with clothing. And and so we need to be careful, too. Like, sometimes we want this utilitarian dress code within Mm -hmm. the church. And, um, you know, our God is a creative God. And there's so many different things that we can reflect about who he is in our speech and in our clothing. And that's beautiful. Yeah. I, uh, and it's, you know, I mean, I, in, in an attempt to be modest, I wore a, a denim jumper today, but it's very, very short. <laughs> and, and so, it's telling quite a story to Carl and I. I, I I'm amazed that your wife allows you out of the house looking like you do, Todd. You're a disgrace. It goes really well with the Converse sneakers, <laughs> that's right, too. That's right. Uh, Gloria, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just struck by, by something that that you said earlier, just in description of your church and and the number of of nationalities uh, mm-hmm. represented, because even as we've talked some already about the issue of modesty, I I cannot. I'm I'm just sitting here as a pastor wondering about the challenges involved in mm-hmm. pastoring a church, being a part of a church mm-hmm. that has so many different people from so many different natu- nationalities and cultural reference points, mm-hmm. uh, and we, it touches on every conceivable area, uh, of course, not least of all on issues of modesty. But I'm, I'm also stunned by uh, the foretaste that is of the wedding feast of the Lamb when mm-hmm. men and women from every nation and, and language and tribe will be gathered around uh, the throne mm-hmm. and how God in his grace can give us in this lifetime just a, a bit of a taste of that. And when I hear uh, you describe your church with, with that many different nationalities, I, I see that as a, as a real foretaste of that day. But I wonder, and I know that this is a huge question, but I wonder if, what's a typical Lord's Day like? What's a typical Sunday like with men and women from from that wide array of backgrounds and cultural reference points? What, what's that like as, as being a part of a church like that? Yeah. Um, well, Sunday would be the first day of the work week. <laughs> Ah, gotcha. <laughs> so everybody would be at work. Yeah. Um, but on Friday mornings, um, uh, we gather around the gospel, um, uh, preach the gospel, sing the gospel, pray gospel-oriented prayers. Um, 
it's, uh, it is quite astonishing to walk into the room and see all your brothers and sisters and they look nothing like you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and just ra they just all radiate the love of Christ. Um, I was particularly encouraged this morning to, to see uh, a young woman who looks just like me. She's from, um, the United States of America and she's here and also see another woman who is at, at great risk comes to attend mm -hmm. church. And, um, Another woman who I know uh, she would love for her children to come, but they're not allowed wow. uh, for her husband's rules um, for their religious background. And um, it's, it's incredible to consider um, how we're all oriented around the gospel mm -hmm. instead of our preferences. Um, <laughs> in Dubai, there's really not very many churches to choose from. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we don't quite get the, uh, I think I'll hop over to this one this Friday or hop to that one next Friday. Everybody is so uh, grateful um, to have a gospel witness in this place. And I think people recognize the, the uniqueness of that and how special it is. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's humbling. Um, if I wanted to sum it up with a word, it's, it's, it's quite humbling. One of the things I've noticed as, a, as an immigrant to the United States is how much emphasis on particularity there is here. This mm. is an idea that if you're in the suburbs or in an urban environment or in the countryside, you need to always contextualize. <laughs> what you've just described to me sounds like a, a context pardon the sort of pun, I suppose, a context in which one cannot contextualize because Absolutely. everybody comes from. <laughs> so I think I know the answer and I hope you're going to give the answer I'm hoping for this question. But mm -hmm. so how does the gospel work in that kind of context with no context? <laughs> well, if Jesus Christ has created a new humanity uh, in himself, then, then we have him in common um, and we can hold him in common and uh, see how he... Um, has really truly torn down dividing walls. It's it's also remarkable to see people from different tribes. We speak about tribes in the terms of a pejorative Christian tribe or or something like that. But um, I see people who are from ethnic tribes, and uh, in their home country, they're supposed to hate each other, uh, but here they're embraced as brothers and sisters, and they oh. carry each other's childrens on each other's hips, <laughs> and um, and do that sort of thing. So it's um, yeah, it, the unit the unity is is in Christ, and that's not a um, uh, a light thing. So what you've written is really is, uh, you know, I often say when, I, when I'm preaching in, in Ambler that the church is meant to be a, a small inbreaking of the, of the kingdom here and now, mm -hmm. that we are meant yes. to reflect the kingdom. And in some, in some ways, in a very dramatic and tangible way, you're, you're clearly seeing that in your congregation uh, in mm -hmm. Dubai. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and uh, so Dave doesn't adopt any particular strategies of preaching then. He just expounds the word. Is that, is that essentially what you're saying? Expositional preaching, yes, sir. Excellent. That's I'll give you 9 out of 10 for that answer. I would give you 10 out <laughs> of 10, right. but I never give somebody a perfect score. I was going to say, so well, 9 out of 10 is as good as, 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 good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was wanting to bring up for the whole episode of modesty the differences between chastity and modesty, and back referring back to uh, Tim Challey and R. W. Glenn's book, they um, teach this uh, from some writings from C.S. Lewis, where modesty is more of a social rule, like we were saying, it's contextual, situational, and culturally. But chast chastity, to offend against chastity, is is when we actually dress to excite lust, when we're definitely um, offending against Christian love, as you were saying earlier, Gloria. Mm -hmm. So. Um, 
you know, how can one be modest but not be chaste? Or is that possible? Sounds like My a tough brain question. Just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I asked the exploding question instead of Carl. You, you get naught out of ten for that answer. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, my daughter just went to her high school homecoming dance, and so um, you know, her dad and I were very particular about what dress we were going to buy and even things like shoes these days are sexy. And so we're like, Oh my goodness. Like we have to be careful, (laughs) careful not to get these crazy shoes that are out there for them, which many of the girls were wearing. And Solana's my daughter's name. She was saying that um, the whole week before the dance, they were announcing, you know, there's going to be no dirty dancing at this homecoming. And we want to prepare you guys for that. And um, so we were happy to hear about that. And sure (laughs) enough, you know, she gets dropped off and you see this, you know, different combination of dresses that were picked to wear and um, they all file in there. And when my husband picked her up, she said that the very first song the DJ played was one of those songs that people like to dance badly to. So it's kind of like the adults were talking about this modesty issue over the intercom system and, you know, maybe these girls are showing up in dresses that are just fine with shoes that are just fine. But then once they got there out there on the dance floor, they weren't moving in a very chaste. <laughs> they may have looked modest. They may have been able to go out to dinner and people say, yes, that's a very modest, nice dress for your daughter for the homecoming dance. But that same girl could have been inside the building uh, not being very chaste. Mm-hmm. That would be one example that I would give that was recent to my life. And I would add from a, you know, I'm a father of of two sons. Uh, Often when we we think about modesty, mine goes to what should teenage girls wear? Mm. I think as a father of sons, I also, yeah, I was at my son's high school graduation in, in May this year. And I was horrified at the clothes that some of the girls were wearing. From the perspective of, of my son, mm-hmm. you know, if as a Christian father, you're attempting to, to cultivate within uh, your son respect for right. women, you're ex- in, in, trying to cultivate uh, an idea that women are more than just their sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, I think, a, a responsibility that Christian parents have to the children of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents of daughters also have a responsibility to the, to the parents of sons out there. It's, I'm just about young enough to remember what it was like being a teenager. I think as a teenage guy, you think about sex all the time. I think that's, that was certainly my experience. I, I'm assuming that I'm not excessively weird on that front. I don't think front, that even in this culture that teenage girls um, understand that really. Yeah, right. It's hard enough to, to remain self-controlled and chaste as, as a teenage boy, period, without having what... For, to put it sort of crudely, without having a cattle market presented mm-hmm. to you uh, every day, um, so one of my one of my sort of concerns as a Christian dad is that the it's not just a question of what fathers of daughters want their daughters looking like out there. It's also that responsibility to the wider Christian mm-hmm. community to be part of promoting an appropriate attitude to other people and an appropriate attitude to to sexuality. I don't know if if any of you have any thoughts on that. I, I was wondering, Gloria, you know, have, have the modesty laws in Dubai, have they fixed the problem of, uh, of human lusting? Mm. Good question. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. No, it it um you you can't uh can't ad- adjust a heart um yeah. at, at that kind of level. There's um there's an idea that it's uh kind of along the lines of a works righteousness, but it's like a works purity. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some of the religions here, um, you dress in a certain manner, and it says a cer- it's supposed to say a certain thing about your purity. But from what we know about the biblical idea of purity, it's it's a heart issue. Um, so in that way, like Amy said, you could be modest but not chaste. Um, and it, it doesn't solve um, your heart problem if you're dressed up appropriately or if you're looking at someone who's dressed appropriately to uh, exemplify a, a pure person. Um, the, the issue of the heart is... <laughs> it's where that's all localized. Um, and, and I wonder, I wonder, do you find in your particular cultural setting that perhaps, and I'm, and I'm, I, I, this is going to sound like a leading question and maybe it is because of some assumptions I'm making, but do, do you find that there is perhaps a tendency in, in, in your current cultural setting for there to be a, perhaps a lack of, of public honesty about, certain sinful behaviors. Um, you know, here in the U S of course, you know, uh, there's Mm -hmm. studies taken every uh, three weeks about the, the sexual activity of teenagers. But (laughs) I wonder in your cultural setting, is there perhaps an unwillingness to acknowledge what still may be going on despite the purity laws? I I think so. Um, and, uh, I think it would be fair to say that so much more happens um, that people are unwilling to talk about because of their honor yeah. um, and shame that it brings yeah. um, on a family. Right. Um, so uh, I, I'm thinking of an example of, um, of a young woman who was reported to have given birth to a um, full-term uh, baby uh, at seven months. Um, and... Uh, it was an eight-pound baby, and he was only uh, cooking in there for seven months. And, mm. oh, it's amazing. It's a miracle. But, yeah. um, and that's exactly how long they'd been married, seven right. months. So it was uh, t- touted as, a, a oh, that's, that's wonderful, a fantastic miracle, instead of, we all really know um, mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. what's, what's happened here. Yeah. You don't get a seven-pound, eight, eight, you know a seven month, eight pound baby. But, but so, yeah, I mean, I think honor and shame would play yeah. a significant role in that. Right. And, and you're in, you, you mentioned those words, honor and shame. You're, you're very much in mm-hmm. a, in a honor based culture. Some would say a shame based culture, depending on which direction you're looking at it, mm-hmm. which I would think obviously then the gospel has a, a great deal to say, mm-hmm. um, obviously to all of us, but when you're in a, a culture that is so grounded in, in those terms of honor and shame, shame mm-hmm. being uh, this terrifying uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel has tremendous opportunities. The, the notion of grace, I would imagine, is very, very alien. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it is. Um, the uh, majority of the cultures here would probably be, be under the, the honor and shame category, if you're going to categorize them that yeah. way. Um, one of the reasons that we so love speaking with people from these backgrounds is um, when they're confronted with the, the biblical idea of grace and um, Christ taking shame, it, it, uh, you can see the burden lifted. Um, it's, uh, 
it, it, I'm sure to them it almost feels tangible mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because they carry that. And it's, it's, it's a, a, motivating, a motivating thing for, for everything they do and, and say how they carry themselves, what car they buy and what their children are wearing and um, what they say to different people and how they uh, interact with different socioeconomic um, strata in the city. And um, it's just such a governing reality. But when, they, when you really grasp the governing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, and, and Christ bearing away your shame, um, you could see the the burden just lifted. Mm, that's good. Well, it's been really super to have you join us today, Gloria. Thanks very much for uh, all of the food you've given us for thought there. <laughs> if, before we Thank finish, you. I would just like to mention that Gloria uh, blogs at domestickingdom.com. You can get more of Gloria's uh, thoughts on, on life, the universe and everything uh, by <laughs> checking out that particular blog spot. I would also, I don't think we've done this before on the podcast, but also encourage uh, listeners to pray for Gloria and Dave. They're in a, uh, a difficult situation in some ways. It's a remarkably strategic uh, place to be to be a pastor. So please pray for, for Gloria and Dave as they work in, in that area. This has been the Mortification of Spin, the podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a casual conversation about things that count. Please visit our website at mortificationofspin.org and we look forward to seeing you next time. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We'd like to give you a free resource. Visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to find a link to the download. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include Reformation21.org, Every Last Word with Philip Reichen, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again, and don't forget your free download.